Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, we are going Old Testament this morning, uh, and um, that's where we'll be starting today. And as you're turning there, I'll just share a little bit about what we started last week. So last week, we began a series called Learning to Listen. Learning to Listen. Uh, and we started with uh, what Jesus said was the most important commandment. Uh, someone came up to him and asked, what's most important? And Jesus said, it is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the most important thing. And, and so what we saw as we looked at this last week is that this fundamental command to love begins with the word hear or listen. It begins with the call to listen. See, when Jesus teaches about love, he teaches about listening. According to Jesus, we cannot love if we have not listened. We cannot love if we have not listened. But as we reflected this past week, uh, we saw that we're often not very good at listening. We're often not very good at listening. We lack attention and depth and, and curiosity. And we're distracted by about a million things. And, and our minds are always filled with kind of the assumptions of, of what we think is going to be said, what we think someone is going to say. And so we don't listen well. And therefore... According to Jesus' teaching, we don't love well. You see, our, our sense of hearing develops in the womb before we are born. Babies can hear before they're born, even, right? Uh, hearing comes early, and it comes naturally. But listening takes a lifetime of learning and practice. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing has to do with sound entering your ear. Listening has to do with stories entering your heart and your soul. So how do we learn to listen? How do we become a people who listen and love well. Well, I think our text today will help pave the way for us as we seek to be a people who learn to listen. 1 Kings 19. All right, this chapter focuses on the great prophet Elijah. And it picks up right after he's had this major epic showdown with all the prophets of Baal. This showdown ended in this truly amazing victory for him and for God. But after this, this incredible encounter happens, the queen seeks to put Elijah to death. 
She is hunting him down. And so Elijah runs away. He heads out into the wilderness. And after a journey of 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness, he arrives at the mountain of the Lord. And so let's read, picking up in verse 9. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way that you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the invitation to be a listening people. We thank you that you are a listening God. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I was growing up, I remember going to the movie theater. 
and at the very beginning of the movie, um, they, they, would, they would put up an announcement. This was in the era of, of the very beginning of electronic devices. People had pagers and then came along cell phones. And it, just, it was the very beginning of the constant barrage of beeping and buzzing that we are still plagued by today. Um, so before the movie started, <clears throat> they added a reminder to silence cell phones and, and mobile devices and that sort of thing. And I remember three words that would appear on the screen before the movie. Silence is golden. Silence is golden. <clears throat> now these may be, you know, a creative way of saying, hey, turn off your phone. But I think these three words are a fitting summary of the passage that we have just read. Silence is golden. Silence is the thing that shimmers with the presence of God. Silence is the thing that shimmers with the presence of God. It's not the powerful wind, right? It's not the strong earthquake. It's not the blazing fire. But it's this odd Hebrew phrase that we find at the end of verse 12. Kol demama deka. That's the Hebrew phrase there. Kol demama deka. It's a very difficult phrase to translate, right? You may be familiar with the traditional King James rendering the still small voice. Or the NIV translates it as we just read, a gentle whisper. The NRSV says, a sound of sheer silence. It's a really difficult phrase to translate. These words, kol de mama de ka, literally translate the sound or voice of a thin silence or whisper. What does this mean, right? sort of mysterious, the sound or voice of a thin silence or whisper. And yet this is the place where God is. This is the place where God was in the story. It was that thin silence that moved Elijah to cover his face with his cloak because the presence of God was approaching. Truly, silence is golden. So here's the main point I want to make today. Listening begins with silence. Listening begins with silence. And I want to illustrate this with a few images and then come back to the text and see how it all works out. And so here are the images I want to kind of play with for a moment. Uh, coffee tasting, gym class, watercolor, and an orchestra concert. What do these have anything to do with each other, right? Coffee tasting, gym class, watercolor, an, or an orchestra concert. All right, I promise you, these, these things are connected. All right, let me, let, let's kind of explore these a little bit, and, and I, maybe you'll see uh, what I'm getting at. 
Maybe one of these will connect with you, right? So first, coffee tasting. Have any of you ever done a coffee tasting or any other kind of a tasting uh, thing? A few people have experienced something like that, right? So, so I've done a coffee tasting at Starbucks. I've gotten to go up to Woodenville and do a wine tasting. Uh, I've even done a chocolate tasting at a um, chocolate factory in Seattle, right? Super fun to, to do any of these. But what every single one of these tasting experiences has in common is that before you have anything, they hand you a glass of water and a really basic cracker or something like that. Why? What's that for, right? I'm here, I'm here for the coffee. I'm here for the chocolate, right? I'm here for wh whatever it is. What glass of water and a cracker, what's that about? Well, it's a palate cleanser right? Drink some water, have just a really plain cracker, and what that does is it washes out, it cleanses whatever flavors have been there in your mouth before, so you can more fully taste what you're about to taste. In order to fully experience the taste, you have to cleanse your palate, all right, so that's, that's image number one. Image number two, gym class, all right? I, I never much liked gym class. Uh, I remember open gym, which was just me pretending like I knew how to throw a basketball. Um, it, it was a joke. Uh, I remember running lots of laps around the gym. Um, that was also a, a joke. Um, but before any of these activities in gym class, we would stretch. In fact, I think we spent probably half of the class time stretching. We would spread out into sort of this little grid along the, the gym and all get in our little poses and the coaches would say, all right, stretch, you know, you know, twist this way, twist that way, do your leg here. You know, we'd stretch our legs and our arms and rotate our necks around and, and all of that. Uh, we would do this stretching. I, and, and this was essential. This was essential to any activity that we were about to do. In order to fully participate in the day's activities, we needed to warm up and to stretch. So that's, that's image number two. Image number three, watercolor. A few months ago, I signed up for a watercolor class at a local community uh, center in, in Auburn, where we live. I, I dabbled with watercolors before, uh, but had never taken any kind of class since like elementary school art class. And so I had no idea what I was doing, um, but it was fun. Uh, Caitlin kind of nudged me to do it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, and so you'd show up at class and everyone would sit, find their seats and get out their paint and their palettes and their cups of water and stuff. But the most important thing right in front of every single person was a large blank canvas, right? You need that if you're going to paint. You need something to paint on. You can have all kinds of images in your mind. You can have every color of paint you could imagine but you need a canvas in order to paint. And that's right there in front of every single person. That's image number three. All right, I've got one more for you. I promise we'll, we'll connect all of these together here. The, the fourth one, an orchestra concert. All right, 
So again, I'll ask, any of you get to go to an orchestra concert at some point? Get to experience that? Yeah, it's great. I mean, in a world where, you know, we've got radio stations playing all the time, you've got, you know, music you can choose at the tip of your finger. Why go to a concert, right? What's the point? You're just to watch an orchestra play. But it, no, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's, it's different than listening just to music. So you can really feel the music because, you know, that, the, the timpani play, you feel it in your body, right? It's, it's amazing. But something curious about any orchestra concert that you show up to is, you know, you show up early, you take your seat, the orchestra is already on the stage and every single one of them is just playing around, doing stuff. There's just that noise, right? You know that sound. They're all warming up, they're doing scales, so on and so forth. It's, it's you know, kind of cringy, but also beautiful in its own weird way. And that's just going on when you show up and you take your seat all the way until the conductor steps out and takes his place and, you know, taps the music stand. And then there's silence. And the orchestra is ready to play. And the audience is ready to listen. So what do all of these things have in common? Coffee tasting, gym class, watercolor, orchestra concerts, right? Every single one of them requires some kind of preparation. Every single one of them requires some kind of preparation, right? The tasting requires a palate cleanser. Gym class requires some stretching. Painting requires a canvas. And the orchestra requires that moment of silence and attention before they play their first note together. You see, if we're going to be a people who listen, we also require preparation. Listening begins with silence. See, just like water and a cracker cleanses the palate in order to more fully taste, silence cleanses our mental palate so we can more fully hear and listen. Just like stretching prepares the body for heavier activity, silence prepares the mind and the heart for deeper listening. Just like the orchestra looking to the conductor, silence creates a space for us to turn our attention toward our conductor, God, and whoever happens to be with us. Like watercolor, listening is more of an art than a science. And just like any artist has to begin with a blank canvas, so listening begins with silence. Silence is the blank canvas on which we practice the art of listening. Silence makes it possible for us to listen truly and to listen deeply. Silence is the golden space that opens us up to hear God and others. And so, 
how, where do we see all of this? Let's go back to the passage. How do we see all of this playing out? You see, there's all kinds of noise going on in Elijah's life and in the world around him, right? There was the noise of those pagan prophets of Baal who are calling other people, hey, come worship Baal, right? Uh, there's the noise of the queen who is actively hunting Elijah down, and then there's the noise of Elijah's own discouragement, right? The, the loud interior monologue of hopelessness and shame. I mean, we see this at the very beginning of our passage. Uh, in verse 9, <clears throat> God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah answers, hey, everyone has rejected you and turned away. I'm the only one left. I mean, can you hear the discouragement in that statement? In fact, if you look back a little bit earlier before we started reading in verse 4, you actually see where Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors, right? I'm through. I don't have anything else to do here. Elijah's given up. He's discouraged. That's a lot of noise going on in Elijah's life. Whether that noise around him from others or the noise within him in his own heart and mind. I wonder as we consider this passage, what is the noise in our lives that keeps us distracted, that weighs us down? distracted and discouraged, whether it's noise that's out there or noise that's in here. What is the noise that keeps us from being able to listen? There's the noise of societal conflicts, the noise of tense relationships, the noise of our own interior monologues whatever they may be. You see, Elijah was weighed down by all of this too. So in verse 11, God tells him, hey, go out and stand on the mountain. I'm about to pass by. You, you see, in, in the midst of our distracted minds and, and discouraged and heavy hearts, we know that we need God, right? We know that we need God. You know, God, where are you? Are you about to pass by? Let me come see. We know that we need God. We know that we need God to encourage us. We need God to carry us on. But God does not always meet us in the ways that we expect him to. You know, Elijah goes out there, and I mean, he sees an amazing show lights and, and action and, I mean, everything you could ever imagine. Um, he sees an amazing show, wind, earthquake, fire, and every one of these things could have easily been a manifestation of God. Each of these elements has been a manifestation of God in, in other passages of Scripture, right? God met Moses in what? A burning bush, right? 
Whenever Moses, again, is meeting with God on Mount Sinai, the same mountain that Elijah's on here, uh, known as Mount Horeb here, they're the same mountain. Uh, whenever God meets Moses there, it says that the mountain is shaking, right? There's an earthquake, right? God has, has met people in these kinds of things before, but the narrator is very clear to us. The Lord is not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. You see, if these things, these uh, amazing attention-grabbing things are all that Elijah had paid attention to, well then, yes, it would have been amazing, but these things would have only added to the noise of his life. It would have only made him more distracted and discouraged if that's all that he had seen. And sometimes that's how we are, too, with religion, uh, with, with things like that, right? Our hearts are heavy, and we know that we need God, and so we go to church, we have a Bible study, we sign up to serve somehow, all very good things. But after it all, at times we end up more noisy, and more distracted than we were to start with. You see, we don't need to swap out the noise of life with the noise of religious activity. That's still noisy. We, we don't need to swap out one for the other. What we need is a whole new way of being. What we need is a whole new way of being Every day, and that is something that we can only learn from the sound of thin silence. The sound of thin silence. As I've been thinking about this, I've remembered in the in the third and the fourth centuries, there is this group of people who started leaving cities and, and leaving these places that were noisy and heading out into the wilderness, heading out into the desert. We often call them the desert fathers and mothers. Um, they, they're going out there because they want to hear God. They want to see God more clearly, and the noise of everyday life is, is keeping them from that. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of a collection of, of wisdom that they've passed down that's been brought to us today. But one of them that I came across is, is um, you know, there, there's one named, his name is Abba Moses. Father Moses is what he's called. Um, and, and someone comes to him and asks for a word, right? Give, give me some wisdom here. And Abba Moses says to him, Go and sit in your cell, which is a way of saying, go be by yourself. And your cell will teach you all that you need to know. Go be still and be quiet, and you'll learn everything that you need to know. Right? That's the wisdom that comes from the wilderness. That's the wisdom that comes from silence. I came across a story of um, 
You guys may be familiar with Joan of Arc, right? This 15th century woman who was known as someone who had heard uh, voices from God, right? And, and she was this, this great leader and, and was later proclaimed to be a saint. Uh, but apparently she had this exchange with the king of France. And he asks her, why don't the voices come to me? I am king, not you. And she answered, well, the voices do come to you, but you do not hear them. When the angelus rings, that's the bells that they had in their city, you know, that would ring every few hours uh, as, a, as a reminder to pray and, and that center their life in certain ways. She says, when the angelus rings, you cross yourself and move on. But if you prayed from your heart and listened to the resounding sound of the bells in the air after they stopped ringing, then you would hear the voices just as I do. How often do we, you know, see earthquakes and fires and, and windstorms, proverbially speaking, and we say, wow, but we don't linger for that still, small voice, that thin silence that's after it. Because if we listen to that, the resounding sound after the bell has rung, well, then we might hear the voice of God in the silence. You see, silence teaches us a different way of being, a different way of, of living. It, it moves everything that we have in our heads down into our hearts and our very souls. You know, do, do you, uh, someone wrote, you know, it, it, it brings us into the practical living of our theology, right? Yes, I, I believe that God is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. I'm with you always. But do we trust that God is actually by our side right now? Silence can show us that. Right? Do we believe that God uh, is speaking? You know, yes, of course, he speaks through Jesus. He speaks through his word. But do we believe that he might have a word for us here and now? Being still and silent can teach us that. Yes, I, I believe that I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not anything that I have done. But do you really believe that? Being still and silent, saying nothing, doing nothing. Well, that can teach us the grace of God. We're not working for it. We're not earning it. We're resting in it. Yes, of course, I believe God is love. But do you believe that God loves you? Silence teaches us that. Being still being silent. It brings all of these things that maybe we've read or heard of or thought about into the depths of our being. And sometimes in silence, we begin to see just how much we don't believe some of those things. 
I don't know if God hears me. I don't know if God is with me. I don't know if God really loves me. And in silence, we can lean into that and say, God, show me your love. It teaches us a whole new way of being. So what comes out of silence? What, what actually comes out of silence for us? Well, let's look at, at, at what comes out of it for Elijah, right? He has this moment, this still, small voice, this thin silence that he encounters after all of that grand activity. And then what happens? Well, in verse 13, the second half of verse 13, a voice comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It asks them just like it did back in verse 9, the very same question. And how does Elijah respond? He says the exact same thing. Did you notice that when we read it earlier? Right? I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me too. This is what he said before the silence. He says it again after the silence. What actually comes out of our silence? Sometimes it seems like nothing happens in silence. You sit in silence for a while. Hey, I'm going to have this great spiritual moment of experiencing God. Make it one minute, two minutes, ten minutes. And at the end, I don't feel like anything happened, right? That can happen sometimes. Sometimes nothing comes out of silence. But I want you to hear this. Nothing with God is better than a thousand somethings without God. Nothing with God is the beginning of transformation, and that's exactly what happens here with Elijah, right? His first response is exactly the same as it was before he encountered that still small voice, that silence. But then, in verse 15, the Lord says, all right, go back where you came from. He begins to give him some instruction. You see, that initial nothing that we experience in silence can begin to lead to clarity, perhaps a sense of, of direction. Okay, here's, here's where I need to go. Here's where God is calling, right? He calls Elijah into these activities. Okay, anoint this king and anoint this prophet to come after you, right? So, so he at first, he was saying, man, take my life. I'm done with this. But after the initial nothing, he begins to have some direction once more. He begins to have some purpose again. And this comes out of that moment of silence. Another thing is that silence can, can often correct us and encourage us. Remember, Elijah has said twice now, I'm the only one left. But in verse 18, God says, no, I've reserved 7,000 people. You're not alone. You're not alone. And out of the silence, God begins to encourage and correct Elijah and saying, I know you felt alone. 
but you're not. And all of this comes from that space of silence. Sometimes it might initially feel like nothing has happened, but nothing with God makes way for clarity, direction, correction, and encouragement. This is what happens with Elijah. And this becomes a turning point in his ministry and in his call. He begins to transition from there as he goes on. God meets him in the stillness and the silence. We see this in Elijah's story here. He wanders 40 days out into the wilderness and has this encounter with God. Does that sound like anyone else to you? Right? If, if you'd like, you can flip over to Mark chapter 1 because I want to look at Jesus as we bring our time to a close here. Jesus also models this life, spending time with God in silence and moving from it. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins, you know, he has this, he's baptized by John. He comes up out of the water. And in Mark 1 verse 12, it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. This gives us another glimpse at what silence can be like, right? It's silence. In silence, we're led by the Spirit. And yet, as we sit in silence, we often have to face temptation. We have to face things that we may not want to face. We, we, we encounter some wild animals in the midst of silence. But then there's relief as the angels come and attend to him. As, as we face struggles and, and distractions in silence, can, can we be led beyond them into the care of God? And it was this experience that launched Jesus' ministry, right? It was from this extended period of 40 days in silence that he then began to speak. The kingdom of God is at hand, right? Began declaring the kingdom of God. But this was not just a one-time thing for Jesus. He was committed to this often. If you continue on throughout Mark chapter 1, you know, he, he goes out. He begins declaring the kingdom of God. Some incredible stuff happens, right? He encounters a, a guy in verses 21 and beyond uh, with an impure spirit, and he casts it out. Uh, he en encounters crowds of people and begins healing them on and on. I mean, it's amazing, right? His ministry, for all accounts, is a, is a huge success. It's going really well. And, and we would often, if we experience moments like that of success, of, of energy, of, of good things, then man, I want to ride this wave. Let me stay in the spotlight because things are going well. But what does Jesus do? After this amazing encounter of, of healing people and all kinds of stuff, if you look down in verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, it's time to go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You know, if we were having such success, it's very likely that we would stick around, right? Things are going well here. I'm going to stay for a while longer. But by going to the silence, Jesus gets some new direction. It's time to go somewhere else now. If we do not take moments to regularly pause and be still and and get away from the spotlight and the noise of everyday life, then we will keep going and very likely go in all kinds of wrong directions. But in silence and stillness, we can be recentered and redirected to see where God is leading us where God is drawing us. If we're going to become a listening people, we need to start with silence. Silence is golden. It's where God speaks. And so I want to challenge each of you, try to spend some time in silence this week. Set a timer and then just sit. And as you do that, I just want to share a few, a few practical things uh, that you can expect in silence. One, expect to be bored. It's not entertaining. It's not exciting. It's not a, a you know, fire show and an earthquake. Expect to maybe be a little restless. That's okay. We need to work through that as we become listening people who are settled and ready to hear from others. In the midst of that, we should also expect distraction. Our minds wander all over the place. One tool that is often used to try to be with God in stillness and silence is to choose a simple word to come back to. Uh, Maybe it's the word grace or love or just Jesus. When your mind wonders, speak that word once more and be brought back into stillness. One of the greatest things that that I've heard is to reframe our distractions. You know, it's easy if, if I try to spend a moment in silence with God and I get distracted, then, oh man, I am, woe is me, right? I am, I am so distracted. I'm so awful. Why am I even trying to do this? But, but I, I, I've read once, if we reframe these distractions, these distractions are not a failure on our part. They're an, every distraction is an opportunity to return our attention to God. If in five minutes of silence, I'm distracted a thousand times, that's a thousand opportunities to turn my attention back to God. In that sense, silence is a way of practicing repentance, which is simply turning back to God. 
Every, every moment of distraction is an opportunity to say, God, I'm with you. God, you're with me. Expect distraction and know that there's grace in the midst of that. And that's the other thing to expect in the midst of silence is God's deep love and grace. We don't need to do anything. God's love abides with us. We don't earn it because we've done this or that. We rest in it. Silence teaches us that. Silence is deeper than sound or not sound. Silence is a state of the heart. I'll close with this final uh, quote from another one of our, our desert fathers, Abba Poeman. He said this, A man may seem to be silent, but if his heart is condemning others, he is babbling ceaselessly. But there may be another who does speak from morning until night, and yet that one is truly silent. That is, he speaks only what is profitable. Randy Harris, when I was in college, once challenged uh, me and, and other students of his, speak only what love requires. That's what it is to be silent. It's not to say nothing. It's to speak from a place of deep, centered love. May we be a people who rest in the silence where God is and become a people who listen deeply. Amen.